Welcome to another episode of Secure the Job, Breaking into Security, where we give you the inside scoop on all you need to break into the cybersecurity industry. We're your hosts, Alana, Evan, and Stephanie, and we'll talk skills, jobs, and resources. Here's what we have for you this week. Hi, everyone. Our guest today is Emily Hacker. Emily is a threat intelligence analyst at Microsoft, working on the Microsoft Threat Intelligence Center by anticipating and responding to different incidents on the front lines of customer networks. She is passionate about investigations, open source intelligence, and stopping cybercrime, and has a lot to share about coming from a different background into cybersecurity. Welcome to the podcast, Emily. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So we like to start each of our podcasts and asking our guests a pick of the week. So this can be anything, something you're obsessed with, something you're reading, a funny story. So what would your pick of the week be? That is a good question. I would say my pick of the week, I just finished a book for my book club this week, and it's not a new book. It's an older book, but it's um, Circe by Madeline Miller. Madeline Miller, I believe her name is. (laughs) Hopefully I'm right now that I've said that. (laughs) <laughs> and um, it was incredibly good. It was very well written, and I'm uh, a lot of it is obsessed with it right now. So awesome! What's it about? It is about the witch Circe from the Odyssey, but told through her perspective of her entire life, rather than just the snippet we get of her in the Odyssey. And so, how she was shaped as a young nymph in a world of patriarchal gods and how that shaped her into the person or rather the goddess the witch (laughs) she became that we know from the odyssey so very interesting wait that's incredible that sounds awesome we'll have to definitely check that out so like many others in the industry you don't come from a security background you studied journalism in college how did you come to find your way into security yeah that is a fun story because It was basically on accident. I did not know that security existed. I did not know that it was an option. You know, when you're, you know, like younger, you're in high school or whatever, people ask, what are you going to do? What are you going to go to college for? Like, I could not have said security because I did not know (laughs) that it existed. And so I was studying journalism in college. I enjoyed it. But after college, I ended up getting a job in tech writing. And so I was writing software manuals, like manuals for a software company, Mm -hmm. which was not my favorite thing. I didn't find as much enjoyment in that as I would have liked. And so I ended up switching to doing tech writing of a different sort where I was writing and editing reports for a threat intelligence team. Interesting. So a girl that I had worked with at the first tech writing job had a position open on her team and she called me or I think she messaged me on Facebook. That's how long ago this was. (laughs) And um, she was like, hey, like I have this job opening. I think you'd be perfect for it. Like go ahead and apply. And at the time I was like, yeah, but I don't like tech writing. So I don't know that I want to apply to this job. And so I was like, thanks, didn't apply. And like a week later, she's like, I can see that you haven't applied. Like I'm going through applications, (laughs) apply to this job already. And so I finally applied to it after talking with her. And she explained to me that like, it was a totally different type of tech writing and that the work was related to security and it was just so fascinating. So I applied and got that job and she was absolutely right. I had a few months to like ramp up and be like, what is malware? <laughs> like, what is this stuff? And it was just like all this new information at once that I was just like completely enthralled with. I was like, how is this someone's job? Like there's nation states, there's like 
criminals that are sending malicious emails. And oh my God, everything was brand new. And I was like, this is the most exciting thing on earth, I believe. And at the time I was still, you know, editing their reports. So the team of intelligence analysts, including mm-hmm. the girl who had got me the job, she had been made the transition from tech writing to analysis as well. And so I was editing their reports and presentations that they were giving, um, helping write them. But very early on, I realized that I wanted to make the transition from being the tech writer on the team to actually being an analyst on the team. And so I kind of just like, I just like put myself in the position to get that job. I, mm-hmm. I was lucky enough that I worked with a team of people who are just like, so incredibly helpful and nice. And so I would tell them like, hey, you know, I'm editing your report on inter-incident here. Can I sit with you and you can walk me through exactly what kind of stuff you were doing? And so over time, I would like shadow them, kind of learn from them. And then I offered to help out with analyzing the suspicious emails that employees at the company I was working at had submitted. So there was like a phishing email when you click like submit phishing or whatever, mm-hmm. it goes somewhere. And our team was um, analyzing those to see if they were actually malicious or not. And it took a lot of time. We didn't have enough people on the team. That's a very common theme, I feel like, to not have enough people on a team. And so I was yeah. like, yeah, this makes sense for the tech writer <laughs> to be analyzing this malicious emails. So I did. And then after a while of that, I kind of just there was an opening on the team and I kind of told my management like, hey, I'm like already doing this job. So, so I ended up getting hired. So yeah, that was a really convoluted story. But now I've been actually doing analysis for over five years now, like beyond tech writing, actually being an analyst. And so that is wild. Um, But I feel like it's not necessarily an uncommon story for people to kind of switch into threat intelligence specifically um, from a different career path like that. So you have an incredible story. And these are the type that we want to share out with people because there's all these other people who have different degrees. And we want to show that there's opportunity for you to transition into cybersecurity. And it's amazing to hear how once you started diving deeper into threat intelligence and areas like that, you just became so passionate about it. Mm-hmm. And I think Evan, Alana, and I have similar stories to that where we started slowly reading more reports, learning more about the industry, and we became fascinated. It's incredible just how robust the industry is, and there's so much to it. And yeah, it just comes to show that, you know, once you kind of have some interest in it, you really can go on and make an entire career out of it. Totally. And so a lot of your work right now revolves around threat intelligence, but most of our listeners probably aren't in the cybersecurity space. So how would you define what threat intelligence is, I guess, to someone who isn't aware of the industry? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. Um, threat intelligence is the specific definition of what you do might vary company to company, but in general, it's about finding context related to the threats that your company is facing in order to help other teams make the decisions they need to make. So if you, you know, are becoming a threat intelligence analyst and you're going to work in a SOC for a specific company, a lot of times that might mean that the incident response team has found some type of threat in the network and your job as a threat intelligence analyst will be to identify context surrounding that threat, maybe what it is, you know, what the threat actor or who the threat actor is associated with it is and what their end goal is. That way you can give that context 
to the incident response team, and they can make decisions about how they should be remediating that threat or what steps they might need to take, depending on maybe the severity of it. If you're working in a larger organization like Microsoft, it's the same concept, but maybe taken up a level to where rather than just giving the the context to a specific team to make a decision about a one-on incident, it's about tracking these threats over time to get context of the larger campaigns involved with these to help your product teams be able to make the correct decisions about how to block these threats or remediate these threats or alert your customers to these threats. And then also to help customers get the context they need if they find this threat in their environment about what their level of concern should be and how they should perhaps consider remediation. Yeah, I know that that sounds super, super interesting. To follow up with that, what do you find most interesting about your job, whether it's like a specific project or something you're working on that you are able to share? I think... One of the things that I find the most interesting about my job is the ability to track a threat over a span of time, including, I'm trying to think of the right words here, but like threat actors aren't going to just <laughs> keep on keeping on. If I find that a threat actor is doing a particular you know, thing in, an, in a threat, I might put in some kind of remediation or block for that in our product. But the threat actor's not going to be like, daggone it, I totally now am foiled again and can't continue in this life of crime. Like, obviously, that's not what they're going to do. They're going to make changes to evade, you know, our protections or detections or the, um, the understanding that we might already have of them. And so one of my favorite things is to have that ability to track it and then you kind of like lose it for a little bit. That's obviously not the favorite part. But then the favorite part is when you've maybe lost it a little bit and then you you find it again. You're like, ah, I found the change they made and now I can continue to track it. And just like keeping on top of the threats, the threat actors, and just like, it's almost like the human element is what is the most interesting to me. Like, thinking about what the threat actors themselves, what decisions they might be making and coming at it from that angle in order to track these threats over time. So in a way, are you putting yourself in their shoes to see in what ways they would go on an attack and then try to almost beat them to that? Yeah, I think having an attacker mindset is um, something that is really useful in, in threat intelligence. It is even if you don't have a background as doing anything related to red teaming or being a criminal, you know, but like having that mindset and being able to think of like, you know, if it were me and I just had been using this one TTP forever and I got caught, like, how would I change it up to evade detection next time? And also thinking in terms of like, they're not going to change everything up every time. It's going to be one off. So having multiple things about that group, you know, like putting yourself in their shoes and being like, okay, they have these five identifiable traits that I'm always tracking for this group. And like, which of these are the most hard for them to change that I should be tracking the most closely so I can keep an eye on them? So yeah, definitely having that kind of attacker mindset can really help with tracking these groups and can help with keeping totally up to date on the threats that are facing, you know, your customers or whatever. It's kind of like an action movie. That's really cool. Yeah, definitely. It It's like an action movie, but like in slow motion. <laughs> no one's running through the streets or doing any car chases. It's like over the span of weeks and months of everyone like running slowly away and chasing them. <laughs> but yeah. it's still fun. 
as you're going through and tracking all these, I guess, cyber criminals, we can call them, do you think that there are any specific skills that you see yourself tapping into? I think a trend we're starting to see is coming in with, there's certain soft skills that are more important than necessarily doing trainings or certifications. So I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, totally. You know, I actually think it's kind of funny how in cybersecurity, especially, you know, people put a lot of focus on perhaps finding new candidates that might have the skills that are related to technology, if you will. So they might be looking for someone that comes from a very IT-centric background or a very computer-centric background. They hire those people even with the anticipation that they can learn the, I hate the term soft skills, the less technical, like the more we're going to go with soft skills because I'm not going to magically think up a new term for this like right now on the spot. But like they hire these technical people with the uh, expectation that they'll be able to learn the soft skills on the job. And one of the things that I found is that, sure, that's true, but the opposite is not talked about enough. It's about hiring people that already have those soft skills and training them up on the more technical side on the job, which is what I did. And so some of those soft skills that I feel like are really critical to um, a threat intelligence analyst success would be critical thinking is like a huge one. And I realize that sounds like so vague, but a lot of what I was just describing, you don't need necessarily to think of it in super technical terms to be able to track threat actors in the way I was just describing. You know, like if I'm talking about a threat actor who does five things that I'm always tracking and I need to figure out how to track these and see the changes over time and make these logical conclusions about what might have changed and make, you know, critical thinking decisions about what I need to look for next. Like, we can have that discussion and not talk about anything technical at all because the skills needed to do that aren't tied specifically to computers or technology, right? And then another one is communication skills. And I think this is the one that always, like, I get the biggest, like, chuckle out of is when people who are hired for threat intelligence roles that have the super technical background and they're like, oh, we can teach them communication on the job. And then like, maybe that's like a little bit more challenging for them to learn. But like, for some reason that's seen as okay. Meanwhile, communication is like central to threat intelligence. If you are finding threats or finding context about threats, tracking them over time, but not able to communicate those to, like I was saying earlier, the groups that need to make decisions based off of that, you're not doing threat intelligence. You're just not. You're just doing like threat hunting, maybe without any context to share to the groups that actually need it. And like people who want to do security research and learn all about these threats on their own and not share that information, like I don't have a problem with that. Like that's their prerogative. But in order to be doing threat intelligence, you really need to be sharing that intelligence with a team that can utilize it. And so communication in the form of writing, you know, threat intelligence reports are a major thing in the industry. Whether you are working at a smaller company in a SOC, like I was writing threat intelligence reports at that first company, right? They had a tech writer there to edit them because those analysts were writing reports. Or even like at Microsoft, I know hopefully a lot of people listening have read the Microsoft security blog Threat intelligence analysts are writing those blogs with, of course, the help of tech writers to make them sound better. But like the tech writer can't take the thoughts in your mind and turn them into reality unless the analyst themselves is already a good enough communicator to convey the thoughts that need to be edited. And also in communication, just like one of the ones that really, 
I need to work on is like verbal communication, like being able to explain in a meeting your findings, your technical findings, and being able to do it in a way where people can understand. Because if you're talking to a group of managers and executives, there's really no expectation that everyone in the room is going to have as good as understanding of the threat as you. In fact, they shouldn't have as good an understanding of the threat as you because that's your job and not the executive's job. And if you are like one of those people who's like super technical, but kind of sucks at explaining things and you go to tell this executive why they need to make a decision, but you're explaining it at these like crazy technical levels that like really nobody understands, like you're not doing a good job if they aren't able to make a decision based on the things you're saying. So, wow, that was kind of a rant. I realized I just like got really into that. But I think that those are a couple of skills that just like people need to realize that like people coming in with those skills and learning the technical side of things is equivalent to people coming in with the technical skills and learning the soft skills, quote unquote, on the job. No, that was genuinely a goldmine. That was awesome. We talked to the founder of Girl Security a couple episodes ago, and she really aligned well with your message in terms of teaching these young women these types of skills because they're so important. These are things that Mm -hmm. you want to learn before you get into the job. And so hearing you reiterate that message is really amazing. Yeah, it's also interesting to me. One of the things that I would love to see is... I did not go to school for cybersecurity. We kind of discussed that at the beginning. But even when I was in school, cybersecurity wasn't really a thing. But since then, I have talked to a handful of people who are learning cybersecurity in school. And I work with quite a few people who have degrees in cybersecurity. And it is, like, actually so depressing to me how little these soft skills are prioritized in these college courses. I have yet to talk to someone who is in a cybersecurity degree plan where they had any real focus on like communication. Maybe they took one communication class where they had to write like the highest of level of like how to basically write something legible, but not really to the level that might be required for threat intelligence. I don't see anybody taking courses on like the stuff that I do on a daily basis of like having a data set. And it's like somewhere in there is something malicious You need to use your critical thinking skills and your logic to pivot from piece to piece and find the connections between these data sets that can highlight the malicious data to you. Yeah, you can hand someone like a computer and be like, okay, here's like a lab. Now let's hack. Like, okay, that's, you're teaching them to do the malicious thing, which is the easy part. Not easy. I can't do it. But like, as in you already know the bad thing but not teaching them the critical thinking skills of how to surface something bad in a like larger data set because people don't value soft skills. And I don't know why. And I wish that college programs that were teaching cybersecurity would have like literally classwork, classes devoted to these types of skills just in the same way that they devote to like, let's talk about networking. No, I think I think it's actually really incredible to hear coming from you. And I think for someone who's listening to this and thinking, Okay, maybe I'll go into cybersecurity. This is this podcast actually inspired it or something along those lines. What is, I guess, one piece of advice you would give them if they're in, let's say, a cybersecurity major, but don't really know kind of what they want to do after that? That's a really good question. I would say that like there are a lot of jobs within cybersecurity. And so far I've been talking specifically about threat intelligence because it's really the only one that I have firsthand experience in. 
And I would say that a cybersecurity major is really just setting someone up to have the basics to get into a cybersecurity job. But I would suggest to them to do research, and that can include like talking to people in the industry, listening to podcasts like this, where they get to learn a little bit more about each job and try and maybe get internships, multiple like internships. Maybe they do an internship one year where they're doing incident response and then the next summer where they're doing threat intelligence and see like, do I like this? Do I even like incident response? Because maybe they'll go and do that and be like, wow, I thought that I wanted to be an incident responder, but when I did this threat intelligence internship, I loved it so much more. And then once they've kind of identified which path within cybersecurity they want to do, really hone in on learning those skills. Like not the generic cybersecurity skills, but the specific skills that set each of the jobs within, you know, the cybersecurity industry apart from each other. And there are, you know, there's a lot of resources out there, people who have put out blogs, people who have put out free training and stuff like that, that these people can use to learn this. Training certifications, like paid training is too expensive for these students. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like they're going to be able to go to these trainings because they are like a ridiculously large business center thing now. But like there are free resources to learn this kind of stuff. And I would say that like, don't rely on your major, on your coursework within your major to have taught you everything you will need to actually do the job. Because all it's teaching you is enough to exist in the industry. Each job in the industry requires its own special set of skills that you're either going to have to learn on the job or learn on your own. And that's just that. So, it Sounds like Cybersecurity is a pretty fast-moving industry, to say the least. Yeah, definitely. What do you think has been the most fun slash fulfilling thing about working in cybersecurity? That's a good question. The most fulfilling aspect of working in cybersecurity, weirdly to me, it's the part of working with other people who are trying to get into the industry, which I realize is not actually being in the industry. You know, people talk about the... the cybersecurity skills gap. I don't believe it exists. Maybe I'm going to get like pushback on that. I don't believe the cybersecurity skills gap exists. I think that it's a cybersecurity diversity gap. And I think what that really entails is that there are people out there who can do the job. They are, for whatever reason, not given the opportunity, be it because they don't have the quote unquote right background, because they don't have the exact skill set. Like there's a lot of issue with threat intelligence where like, the only people who can get jobs are people who have already done the job. And so the industry just kind of looks the same always going forward and forevermore. And that's not a skills gap. <laughs> it's just not. It's just, it's a problem with hiring. And so I like cybersecurity and I love my job and I love unraveling the mysteries. And like, it is super fulfilling to me to be tugging at that mystery and then actually like unravel it and find, you know, the the actor I've been tracking But honestly, more fulfilling is working with people who are doing that for the first time and just seeing that like they don't have to have a degree in like computer science or they don't have to have a background of working at the help desk for 25 years, whatever. Like they have the skills to do this and just like getting more people into the industry. That is where I have found that I personally get the most like fulfillment of my day-to-day job. So I don't know. That sounds kind of like a non-answer weirdly, but... (laughs) No, that's great. That makes me so happy to hear because cybersecurity can be a very intimidating industry to enter. And so the fact that you're welcoming these future defenders with open arms and wanting to have more of them enter is amazing. The majority of people in cybersecurity and in threat intelligence 
are welcoming and want people to be there. But there are some really loud people who are really vocal about people having to have the right background and people having to work in tech forever. And it like those loud voices make it feel like most people, you know, don't want you there if you don't have the right background. But it's not most people. It's easy to get dissuaded by a few loud voices, but like ignore those people. They're haters and we don't <laughs> like them. Yeah. And that's that's exactly, I think, the basis of this entire podcast. The reason we started it is, first of all, a lot of people don't know about cybersecurity when they're young, but then there's people who have been in the industry and want to maybe switch jobs and have certain skills, but don't think they apply to cybersecurity. So showing them that you can actually, and that you can actually transfer those skills over. So, So being so close to the industry, what keeps you up at night? One of the things that keeps me up at night about this industry is that I feel like attackers and defenders, like the people who work in incident response, people who work in threat intelligence, the people who are actually doing the day-to-day work, move at basically the same speed. However, I think one of the things that is like stressful to me as a defender in this industry is that corporations, companies don't move at that speed. We can identify that actors have made this new change and they're now utilizing one of the things that seems to be all the rage nowadays is like actors spamming MFA prompts at people until they just click yes. And like, there's been a lot of talk about like, how can we make it so that we can fix this going forward? But the solutions for these types of things aren't things that companies are just going to implement overnight. And so I have found that like, it, it definitely, not to sound too much like a downer, but every now and then this industry, I think one of the things that keeps me up is that it feels a little like cyclical and that we're constantly chasing our own tails because by the time an attacker does something new and we have to keep dealing with it. And then by the time companies have had the ability to go through change control and go through executives and do this and blah, blah, blah. And now we finally made the change. Well, attackers have moved on to the next thing. And now we need to go through change control. and We need to do the. And it's just like, oh, we're going to be behind forever because like the attackers don't have to go through, you know, their semester planning and like, let me go through my, you know, management chain to make sure I can make, no, they don't have to do that. And so like, until such time as security is taken seriously enough in a sense of the people who are saying we need to make this change now are given the opportunity to actually make this change now, I do think that cybersecurity is going to be a very, it's going to be a game of whack-a-mole, which I've heard that analogy used before. And I, I don't love it because I don't want it to be a game of whack-a-mole. I don't want it to be something where we're just like waiting for them to pop up and boom, we got them. But like realistically, that is what it is right now. We are waiting for them because companies don't have the ability to move fast enough to make these kind of like major proactive changes. So that's the depressing answer. Numerous times and days when I'm like just tired or something or like there's just been a crazy week and I get online and I'm just like, can criminals just stop doing crime for like a day? Because I need yeah. to do my connect or something like that. Just take a vacation, guys. Come on. <laughs> what do we have to do either as individuals or as companies and corporations to actually catch up to these criminals or hopefully get ahead of them one day? I think that actually one of the solutions to that is going to actually relate back to what I was talking about before with hiring more diversity. But I think it's going to happen at a, or rather it will need to happen at a higher level as well in order for those changes to become, you know, more Proactive, because one of the things that I have seen a lot in the industry is that the higher up 
the management chain you go, the less experience people tend to have with cybersecurity. And one of the reasons for that is because when people are hiring for like executives or C-levels or whatever, for some reason, they're looking for people that have a very specific set of skills that they expect to see in a C-level or in an executive and business skills, right? These types of like leadership skills, business skills. I managed this project forever. And those skills are for sure important. Let's like, I don't want anyone to come away from the thinking that I just said those aren't valuable because they are. But what that means is that people that have been working, you know, day to day on the front lines and truly understand this industry don't sometimes might get passed over. You know, people who might not have that exact same background and therefore would have what I would consider to be a diverse background to that sort of job might get ignored or passed over in favor of someone who's more experienced on the business side of things. But that just kind of puts us back to right where we are. Whereas if we could get like, start having that change of getting more background of people who have worked in security, people who understand this and moving them up into management, moving them up into C-levels, then those people can help understand and explain why these decisions need to be made at the business level versus the conversations having to like, I was going to say trickle up, but that is totally not how water works. (laughs) But like having to like, the understanding exists at the analyst level. And if like they're communicating to their manager who's never been an analyst, and then they have to communicate to their management who has never worked in security, how are those people at the top expected to make the decisions? Like, I don't know. They haven't yet (laughs) given me hope that they will be able to. So I think that would be a start. Gotcha. So it's a matter of making sure that the right voices are empowered and the right voices are heard. Definitely. I know we've kind of touched into some of the, I guess, issues or things that can be improved in the cybersecurity world, but what excites you most about the future? What do you see is the coolest thing that we can see in the next 10 years, let's say? I am hopeful that the next 10 years will bring even more of what the last 10 years have brought us, by which I mean cybersecurity coming into the forefront. It's like, I don't know, 10 years ago, I feel like if someone said they worked in cybersecurity, people would be like, security? Like, what's that? I don't know. I don't feel like it was as much of a thing 10 years ago. But now, like, it's like on the front page of the paper. And like, my mom hears about malware sometimes and will call me and be like, have you heard of this? I'm like, yes, mom. But like, (laughs) you know, that kind of stuff where everyone hears about it. I think one of the things that's the most exciting about that is that going forward in the next 10 years, as it becomes even more prevalent, it's going to be more available for people to study. It's going to be more, there's going to be more jobs available. There's going to be more funding from companies to have more jobs. There's going to be more funding for these larger companies to do more research that'll push the industry forward. There's already so much research into like, how can we use like machine learning to like block files before they're even like on the customer boxes or whatever. And it's like, that kind of stuff. Imagine like if we have more funding as security becomes more prevalent 10 years from now, like what kind of really cool advancements are we going to be able to make as security becomes more of just the norm? So I don't know. I think that's one of the things that excites me. I think there's a lot of opportunity in security for innovation. There's a lot of opportunity for advancement. And I think that the next 10 years will hopefully bring the ability for those things to like be realized. Kind of excited for that like exponential growth aspect there. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. Transitioning a bit, 
So as someone who's in the industry, how do you continue to sharpen your skill set? Yeah, I am lucky that I work with people who are significantly smarter than me. And that is like kind of um, a mantra that I've lived by for years of like, if I'm the smartest person in the room, I'm in the wrong room. And so one of the ways that I continue to sharpen my skills is by identifying people who are better than me at something and being like, okay, that's the person that I need to learn from. So like kind of the same way that I got into security in the first place, just by sitting next to the people and being like, cool, guess what? I'm sitting next to you now and you're going to teach me everything. Like I haven't really changed at all. And so like, I still have identified the people who, you know, have more of an expertise in an area that maybe I'm less familiar with or people who have been working on something longer or just like when I'm working on an incident, I feel like everybody has something to teach me. And so like going into every situation as a learning opportunity and seeing like, there's no way that I am going to be better at everything than this person. Let me find the thing this person has that I don't know and learn it from them. And that's just the way that I feel like I can keep up with my skills because like, it's almost like crowdsourcing cybersecurity that way. I don't know how to like constantly stay on top of like every new trend and every possible thing. Like people like use Twitter. I'm like, y'all have more time than me because I can't just sit there and like constantly scroll Twitter and be like, oh, look, a new thing being discussed on Twitter. Let me research it. Too many new things for me to do that. And so if everybody does a little bit of that and then we all learn from each other, that's how I personally keep up on my skills. Back to that communication skill set you were talking about, like threat intelligence. Totally. Everybody can take a little slice, but it's the sharing of that that's the real, where the work gets done. Exactly. And that's why I love, you know, I mentioned earlier, like the Microsoft security blog. There is a lot of work that our threat intelligence analysts do. And then it just goes into those blogs and it goes out for free. And like, we're not the only company that does that, but obviously that's a great example for me to talk about because I know exactly how it works. But like, it's awesome. Like if you are trying to learn about threat intelligence, you don't even have to pay for that. Like you don't need an E5 license or whatever. Like you literally just go onto our blog and you can read it. And it talks about how this malware is working. And like, I don't feel like there's like a lot of other industries where people are just putting their stuff out for free that they're finding. Like maybe there are, and I'm just like totally living in a bubble. That's highly possible. But like, it just seems like the best of us all when we are just like sharing that information out for free and like taking the time to like find your favorite sources and like keep up with them and read them and be like, wow, now I learned about Raspberry Robin malware. Like that's, that's just something that I think is a good way to keep up with things too. When you do have time to do research on these trends, where are you going to? Is it social media? Do you have reporters or, you know, where do you go to get all your latest information? I used to have like a few like news sources. I had an RSS feed and it would come into my email inbox and like that worked for a while, but I hate email. And so like, honestly, where I get it mostly from now is Twitter. I have, I don't use Twitter a lot. I don't (laughs) interact with people on Twitter all that much. Sorry, everyone on Twitter, but like, For the most part, what I use Twitter for is like when companies post their new blogs or something, they're going to post it on Twitter. That's just how it works. And then like weirdly, another one that I have recently found has been very good is like LinkedIn. People are posting their blogs there as well. So definitely social media. If you had to explain threat intelligence to an average Joe, how would you explain it? Imagine, I don't know if anyone listening or if any of y'all knit, but if you do knit, imagine 
threat intelligence as the ball of yarn that you have at the very beginning while you're starting your knitting. And, you know, I sit on the couch when I'm knitting. And so I have my ball of yarn like tucked in between me and the couch. And as you're knitting, like when you first start, all you can see on this ball of yarn is the outside of the string. You only see like this one piece of string. And maybe that piece of string is one event. So maybe it's like an organization got ransomed. And that's all you have to start with. You can't see anything underneath it yet because the, the ball is all wound up. As you start knitting, like the yarn unwinds, right? And suddenly you can see what was underneath that. And maybe it's like the thing that happened right before the ransom was like the attacker had moved from machine to machine in this org using a specific methodology. Now you've learned that methodology about the attacker and it's a good way to track them over time. You know that they do ransoming, they do ransomware, and they use this specific methodology to move laterally, to move from machine to machine in the org. And then you're you're unraveling more. And as you're doing that, your knowledge of the attacker is growing, kind of like the scarf maybe that you're knitting. As it suddenly comes to life and it no longer looks like just like random string tied in a knot. It starts to take shape and look a little bit like a scarf. But all of a sudden you're knitting and like, I don't know if this happens to any other knitters, but like your string will just get stuck. And you're like pulling on it and you're like, what is going on? Like this is a ball of yarn. It's literally supposed to unravel. That's its only job, but it's like stuck. And that's like when you are looking in this incident and you have found you're moving backwards to the incident and you you lose the attacker. You just cannot find out how did they get into the org in the first place, right? Attackers don't just spontaneously appear on organizations. There's got to be a way, a method that they use to get into this network in the first place, but it's hard to find. And while your ball of yarn is stuck, like you can't keep knitting. Your scarf is just stuck. Your knowledge of this attacker isn't growing and forming anymore. But then for whatever reason, you pull the string and it just like works, right? It just it just unravels finally when you're looking through all your data and you finally find that piece, that one missing piece of like the malicious email that you couldn't find, you found it and you found the user clicking it in the org. And that just gives you that last bit of information about the attacker that helps you knit your full understanding of them and helps you like be able to track them next time because now you know how they got into the org, what, you know, maybe malware they're using, what commands they're using within the org for discovery, what they're using for lateral movement and what their goals are, ransomware. You have a full understanding of them. And as you were unraveling it at the beginning, like I said, you couldn't see anything underneath. But threat intelligence is about unraveling that and building something that is more than it started with. A ball of yarn to a scarf. A scarf is worth more like than the sum of its parts, right? That to me is an analogy for threat intelligence. That was really good. That was great. I love that. That was actually awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So what is your message to our future defenders? There is opportunity to learn something new every day. If only you look for it and find it. And learning something new every day is how you will succeed in this industry. So make sure to find your opportunities to learn something new every day, and then you won't be behind. So you work on the Microsoft Threat Intelligence Center, also known as Mystic. How does that work? within the Microsoft ecosystem. Yeah, definitely. The Microsoft Threat Intelligence Center is unique in that we are not tied to any specific product. So we're product agnostic. And the reason for that is that our mission is to track threat actors and threats affecting any of our customers. The way we fit into the larger Microsoft ecosystem is that we partner really closely with the product teams. 
So as an example, I used to work actually prior to Mystic, I used to work on the Microsoft Defender for Endpoint Intelligence team. And that team is specifically looking at, you know, threats that they can write protections for using Microsoft Defender for Endpoint. On Mystic, we will work really closely with those teams to share our findings. And again, back to what I was talking about earlier, share the context of what we're finding so that these product teams can make sure that we have the right protections in place for our customers across all of our product suites, as well as to be able to track these threats over time to make sure that, you know, we're not too focused on one area of the threat. We're not focused on any one product. We're not focused on one, any one area. That way we have this more holistic view of the threats in order to track them over time. Any like learning site or anything you think has been helpful for you that you would want to include? Yeah. So this has, it's a new, so it wasn't helpful for me in my transition to cybersecurity. But one thing that I would plug, which I have already tried to plug, would be the KC7 game my colleagues and I made. That is a good way for people to learn those threat intelligence skills that are not taught in college classes that I was talking about. Although, like I said, I think that would be a good podcast episode for y'all to do just on that. If listeners want to learn more about the really cool stuff you're doing on the Mystic team, where can they go? Yeah, the Microsoft Security Blog is a great resource for looking at all of the really cool security research that Mystic and other threat intelligence teams at Microsoft are doing. So I would start there. Awesome. Well, I found this conversation super, super interesting, and I'm sure our listeners will too. So thank you so much, Emily, for coming on and sharing all your advice, all your thoughts. It's been it's been really incredible. Yeah, I'm so happy to have been able to be on this podcast, and thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of Secure the Job, Breaking into Security with your hosts, Alana, Stephanie, and Evan. If you're interested in learning more about Microsoft's initiative to address the skills gap and for free resources, go to securethejobpodcast.com. Be sure to subscribe and share with your friends. See you next week. Bye.